0: Welcome back to Down Chat Podcast. This is Dan. And I'm Martin. And this is a podcast where two summer-deprived couch potatoes do a deep dive on a variety of different things, from interesting <laughs> TV shows to
1: experience with dating. This week, so we brought on a guest, Jude. Jude is my good friend from way back when we studied together for our master's. I think that was, I don't know, remember how many years ago. I think it was 2017.
2: Was yeah, I think... 2017 to 2018. Because I graduated a year earlier than you.
1: That is true, too. That yeah. is true, too. It's funny. I'm doing this all over again because we just had Vicky on and I did the exact same thing. I'm like, how long was it? But yes, Jude, thank you for coming on board and joining us with, on this episode.
0: No problem. Um, Thanks for having
1: me. Thank you. Thank you. You know, for
0: sure. Mark forgetting things seems to be a consistent theme here.
1: Absolutely not true.
0: Absolutely true. For those Why listening, you- no less.
1: <laughs> It's
0: a, okay. Look, but but you can't
1: the, see Dan's face, but he's that's the face of a liar.
0: Oh, okay, there. <laughs> but look, look, over over the po- episodes, we've heard time and time again where Martin is labeled as the grandpa of the group, and is continuously showing his age, as you can see here.
1: Uh, no, I'm only called the grandpa because I'm extremely wise.
0: wise and forgetful? Apparently, Alzheimer's kicking in right now. <laughs> I, no, I no, would no.
2: also concur that Martin is like the grandpa of
0: the group. Ah! Uh, Jude, <laughs> oh! no, Jude! You're supposed to be on my team! <laughs> you heard it here, uh, folks. Oh, okay, I you heard know. it here first.
1: <laughs> it's cool. So, so Jude, tell us maybe a little bit about yourself and, and what you've been up to nowadays.
2: Yes. Well, I'm working from home like a lot of other people. I work. Uh, As a UX designer as well, same as Martin, and I work for the government.
0: So I guess you both met during your... I I forget it was mentioned. You both met during your studies, right?
1: Yes. Yes, during the master's. Jude is... He was a a student that was a year ahead of me. Mm -hmm. So we shared, I think, one full year together where we were Mm -hmm. still both at the school. We met... I think this is probably... Yeah, it was our first or at least my first team project in that whole program ever. It was my first year, first class, and it was the team project that that's where I met Jude, along with Vicky from last week and a couple others. And yeah, like honestly, looking back, that was probably one of the best teams I've ever had in in the whole two years.
2: Agreed, agreed. To give Dan a bit of context, at our program, group work was very important. It was like every course had like three or four group projects so the people that you chose was very important Mm. and thankfully with martin our team was really good and so i think in other classes we ended up where we try to be the same group as well
1: yeah Mm, i've had not so good groups which is why i say like Yeah, that first group—me, Jude, Vicky, and again a few of our other friends—solid, solid team. It was Everyone did
2: their work, <laughs> which is like not a lot to ask, but it actually. Yeah, does.
1: you <laughs> would think at a massive level program, you know, people would get their shit together, do the work, but no, no, you still have groups where people don't. What, what yeah. was Adelia
0: though? Like, what was what made the what made the other groups so bad? Besides, like, are they just not straight up like saying, "Yeah, fuck you, I'm not doing the work."
2: Yeah, that's it. Yeah,
1: that's basically the main thing.
2: Everyone in our team did our work and that yeah. that is like ace.
0: Is that just the bare minimum?
2: <laughs> that is, yeah. And you it's, would think. it's it's hard to find.
1: <laughs> I, I don't I honestly don't get it, but you would think it's the bare minimum. That, at a master's level program.
0: <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Like and we, we both talk about actually I'm not sure if we talked about it yet, but like the idea of being direct with one another. I'm actually not sure if that was covered yet. I forget. We've done so many episodes now.
1: Very briefly, I think. Very, Very briefly,
0: briefly. But we are going to dedicate one episode on this at some point. So I'm looking forward to that. But did you folks ever kind of address these folks? Or are you just like, yeah, forget it. It's not worth esteem. I'm just going to just trudge on ahead.
1: So I'll speak on my experience first. Because uh, I didn't always have the same teams as June, right? Mm-hmm. I think I did for some. We're like, hey, can... We had to assign work basically to that individual. Like, right. hey, can you do this? Can you do this? It was kind of annoying because I didn't I don't want to have to, you know, micromanage you and tell you what to do. Like you should be able to pick it up. And I expect, again, at our level that people would initiate to contribute. It's like, okay, I'll handle this, I'll handle this. Oh, do you need help there? I can help you out. So on and so forth, right? That's my my expectation. Mm-hmm. So for that individual, we had to assign work to make it a little bit better. It's still kind of annoying, but at least from that point onward, it got a little bit better. Still would not say it's good, though. Mm. That, that was for me. How about you, Jude?
2: Yeah, I, I spoke out sometimes, sometimes I did. not I do remember one time I spoke out not in a group, but like I pulled them one I pulled them aside and did it like one-on-one kind of thing, which I think is a bit more nice because you don't know what people are going through, right? Mm-hmm. And another thing that I want to say is that I think it's like kind of human nature to be in a group and if you know that you can get away with not doing the work because other people are putting up the slack you tend to choose that route right so mm. try to be understanding but sometimes it was frustrating mm. yeah
0: i mean that that is difficult right to even like open those conversations i think this ties in really well with one of our topics today which is the whole cancel culture thing right because the whole thing about cancel culture is calling people out for the for the nonsense, but naturally, the whole the grounds of calling people out it comes with, as well, a lot of backlash or potential backlash that you got to deal with too, right? Whether they receive it well, whether it's interpreted in in the fashion that they want to hear something or not, so a lot of it is like reading the room. Before we get into that that hardcore stuff, I always like to start off our podcast with a with a mini mini game. And this week, I'm calling this activity "Picture This." Wait, "Picture <laughs> This." <laughs> okay. So this week we did have, we did a game like this with Vicky last week too, but it was different. It was more fun. Okay, so uh, this week I want you to take a moment and think about um, your personality, your character. If you, and then I want you to place yourself in a <coughs> anime or cartoon kind of setting. If you were to car- cartoon or animate yourself, what kind of character would you be? Like, what role would you serve? Think a moment. Think about it. I know what Martin would be. I already know it already. But <laughs> you don't know me. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so I think let me think. Let me take like thirty seconds. Think about what, I, what kind of role I would fit in. I think for myself, I would be a great kind of the. I would be like more of a support cast. I wouldn't be a main character in the story for myself. I just don't think I have that. I don't have that much of charisma. And in some ways, I do, but I think like if I were to have an arc in a story in an anime, it'd be those side story arcs, right? I'd be a guy that supports on the side and is that that teammate kind of character, right? That's that's where I picture myself. For Martin, actually, before I give my spiel on Martin, but what do you think? Where would you fit
1: for myself? So for me, I also don't see myself as the main protagonist. Def- I don't think I see myself you know as what? a villain either.
0: You know what? If I had superpowers, I can see myself yeah. as a villain. I can see it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I see myself more as also a supporting side character. Maybe more of the character, if I'm like going to be more detailed. More of the character that that cracks the jokes from time to time or does something comedic or funny. The, a little bit of the comic relief, but maybe not the main comic relief. Because I feel like in a lot of anime, there's like the main comic relief, and then there might be a side one. I would be one of the the side ones. That's Mm -hmm. how I see it as myself. I think I see myself
0: in those shoes as well. Very similar role. Okay, but but what do you think,
2: dude? How would how would you
0: place yourself in the anime or like cartoon or a TV show?
2: Uh, It's hard to. I I don't know. For me, I know what I relate to the most. I relate to like bratty, selfish characters.
0: that's okay i feel you well, i don't know
2: i don't know if i'm actually would be that in real life that's funny <laughs> like i i don't know Go
1: ahead.
2: yeah like you're, you're different things at different like contexts, right mm. but i just relate to bratty characters
0: <laughs> no that's totally okay yeah so mm. <laughs> martin for you i pictured you you know like the annoying like super like so there's always a butler in like animes who's like super annoying <laughs> on your back about everything but somehow since <laughs> can still be on your case so wherever you go they're always on your case
1: <laughs> so <laughs> when i think of the butler i think of the the wise you know strong supporting character that supports the whole main team oh for sure you're supportive but
0: you're a nagging asshole <laughs>
1: Master Wayne. Okay, Master Wayne. No, no. I was just gonna say, if you wanna go with Butler, I just think of Alfred from Batman, and he's a badass Butler. Okay, he is badass. Yeah. I'm thinking of an anime with a Butler. There's a few.
0: I'm thinking. I think like like,
1: there are, but like none specifically so come to mind.
0: The most recent that come to mind is because I just recently finished it. But Hunter X Hunter. If you ever watched that, I have not seen. That. Okay, so have you Jude?
2: Mm, yeah, I think I saw a couple of episodes. Okay,
0: so the character named Kidoa, he comes from like a like a rich family, and they have like butlers, and they're like they're like they're like they're like, they're like super like super ninja ass. Like they but they're very like like they're on your ass with everything. They're like spying you to make sure that you do what you need to do. <laughs> so you're good at what you do, Martin. I'm not saying that's a it's a complete negative trait because it's not. Like you're you're good at what you do, but you're you're pricking the asshole. <laughs>
1: okay interesting i I'll have to look up more anime with butlers now
0: <laughs> all right Martin. where do you, where do you see where do you picture me in an anime or show
1: uh that's a good question you know what i I see you as one of the the fake bad guys and what I say is that like in one of the early arcs there's that annoying dude who seems like a bad guy in the beginning who seems to like either be a rival of the protagonist or like picks on the protagonist and then later they become friends and then he joins the team he's a good guy
2: so, again, so like that's bad to evil,
1: yeah. Evil to
2: good, kind of character. I see
1: that, but but he, I mean, but he's not full evil as in like full villain in like the first arc that becomes a hero. He's more like a side character, anti-hero kind of character. Hmm.
0: So yeah, okay. So it's like the Gary to the Ash.
1: Yeah, better than Gary. Gary is kind of stuck up. I kind of like kinda Gary. Naughty. I kind of want to smack Gary sometimes. Maybe it's just in the Pokemon games when I'd be like wandering and then Gary just comes out of the bushes and he'd be like, "Yeah, hey, fuck you." And then you'll have to battle?
2: Yeah. And I didn't like Gary because he was rich. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he was a rich, pretentious asshole. Yeah, yeah, Ash was working class, man. And then Gary was like super privileged. And then he was still trying to beat Ash.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, maybe that's why Ash was so like relatable too, because he didn't, he was just so average at a time. Yeah. Maybe. Just
2: with a big dream to catch them all. That's
0: right. It's a very basic dream, but that like, dream has like, like transcended over like 20 plus years. He's still the same age. Yeah. Like, hello? Somehow. He also
2: had a lot of plastic surgeries over the years. <laughs> I think he also had a couple race change. I don't know. Race change? <laughs> like, he got darker. He in did. The, the
0: new, like, uh, the Alolan uh, variant. Yeah. He
2: got tanned. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's changed looks as much as Pikachu did.
0: Can I just say how, <laughs> like, well, Pikachu got thin, like, got Lipo over a few years. <laughs> <laughs> got Lipo? What?
1: Yeah, he did.
0: And, like, That's yeah, weird. it's true. Ash did seem to get, like, a few facelifts over the years. But, like, does it not ever bother anyone that he just has, like, he just captures all these Pokemon and just, like, it's like, I'm not dealing with you anymore after he moves on to the next region. It's like, it's not my problem anymore. Here you go. Bye. <laughs> it's so problematic. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, if you think about it that way, like what happens to the Pokemon that you catch? They're like most of them are forever in PokeDoc Pokeballs, yeah, in the PokeDoc world, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like animal abuse at that point.
1: Yeah, that's pretty sad. You're just basically trapped in a cage, in a dark, dark place, yeah. <laughs> by yourself.
0: You never know. You never know what happens in the Pokeball. It could be like a paradise in there. You know, hollow, <clears throat> hollow simulated environments. <laughs>
2: maybe as a, as a, i would like yeah.
1: that to be yeah that would be a, a nice thought yeah the skeptic in me thinks no but that would be a nice thought
0: <laughs> you know i would love for like a show like black mirror to take on pokemon and just give it like a dark twist oh <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you were there the other day in our conversation in our regular chat martin but we actually talked about pokemon taking a dark twist on everything yes where, you were there right
1: I showed you, yeah, I found yeah, a clip you were on there. YouTube, and like yeah, yeah, yeah. that's
0: so intriguing. Just like having like a dark twist in Pokemon, something that is so yeah, that's usually so PG, like E rated, everyone friendly. Oh yeah, and, and like just having that dark twist is so so intriguing for me.
1: I'm I'm game for that. I would watch that.
0: Right. Speaking of dark twists, let's jump into a show or rather move documentary that we watched recently, which is The Social Dilemma, which will tie in really nicely into the rest of topics today. So we all watched it, right?
1: Mm -hmm. I've seen it.
0: So the social dilemma talks about the how problematic addictions to our cell phones are data collection and the scary realities of, you know, uh, social media networks. The social dilemma uh, focuses mainly on teenagers, I believe, Mm -hmm. but does talk about the repercussions it could have for uh, adults as well in terms of data access and data collection. Um, so what do you folks think just from, from like your experiences watching it and just listening to it rather, or whatever, what were your first thoughts that came to mind when you, as you're watching it?
1: I guess I'll go first. So it, all of it wasn't a huge shock to me, although some of it was still kind of surprising and I say that because actually in the same master's program, there was a course about the, the impact and effects of. Of social media i don't remember the exact title of the course but that's essentially the topic and so we did go into a lot of these similar kind of topics and i remember taking that course the first time and and yeah like a lot of it was kind of shocking and surprising i think a lot of it made a lot of sense if you think about it a little deeper so what i think about this show yeah i think i tend to <laughs> not to be like the grandpa but i tend to agree with a lot of points on the My show grandpa. not Not every, No, definitely not. (laughs) Not everything. I think some things might be a bit, I think for the sake of the show. And I feel like the show falls prey to itself, to the same messages it kind of talks about, about how content, catered content are trying so hard to push a certain agenda or a certain viewpoint. I think the show also does that. uh, And maybe I can get more into that a little bit later. But I think for the most part, yeah, I do think I agree. It might be a bit extreme at times, but I agree for with a lot of things that they're talking about. I think, I mean, obviously they back it up with a lot of research and studies that they talk about in more detail in the show, but I do think people should pay attention to this. I know personally, a lot of my friends and coworkers have watched it and we all kind of talked a little bit about it together, but I'm wondering if it's hitting the audiences that it wants to, which is again, these kind of teenagers, middle school, high school aged population. Are they tuning in and are they how seriously are they taking it? Because it might not seem so like it just might just seem like another one of those like crazy shows now that talks about all these like bad things that are happening. But down the road, could it have real impacts that the show mentions? Yes. Yes, I do think so. So definitely concerning. I hope it's reaching the right audiences. Don't agree with all the things, but most of it. That's my super quick take. About you guys,
0: okay. So, for me, when I was, when I was watching through it, uh, it makes a lot of interesting points I probably haven't thought of before, and it was really interesting to have oh, it was really great to rather to see so many like high positions or assume I assume there are high positions in these companies, these social media companies,
1: yeah, um, like they were ex head of something, ex director of something, right. yeah.
0: and uh, you know, they come in and tell that uh, you know they gave their own testimonies on the topic, and I thought that gave them more validity, um. And one of the things that stuck out to me was that the messaging was that Mm -hmm. Facebook, Twitter, or whatever these social media networks, they used to uh, sell products that users would potentially use, right? So they would gain revenue. Um, But now instead of selling the product or platforms, they're rather selling the user. And for me, that was interesting. That was a little bit of a kind of a mind turning point, right? Where it's like, oh, you're right. We do essentially sell users in terms of just the data, right? Which I'm sure we all agree to uh, when we when we've checked off that. I agree to terms and conditions of joining this platform. But of course, no one reads those, which we probably should. But, you know, of course, no one does. So that was really interesting. I was actually talking to a friend who was working, who works at a social, uh, not social media, but rather uh, kind of a software company, and he was saying that a lot of it was fear mongering in some ways, and to which I think there is some some level of truth to that. When we think of the documentary, it always mentioned like the, the way it presents the social media companies. You have these like people walking behind a screen, like three people watching the actions of a single person, which is. <laughs> In some ways, not really realistic, right? It's kind of like kind of this e- evil mastermind kind of kind of scenery, like straight out of Power Rangers, right?
1: Yeah, like they have this robotic or like CG figure of like the boy in the yeah. show, and then they just see these guys like, oh, we're just gonna make you do this and that behind these computers.
0: It, it's literally straight out of something like you know the villain of uh, you know Power Rangers. I forget what the woman is called, the the OG one. I don't remember. (laughs) It's been a long time since i watched Power Rangers. She's really cool, though. Anyways, I digress. Yeah, so it it touches upon some really good points, is that there's always a need for constant perfection uh, for the younger generation because their whole life is so posted on social media. So I think that's true to an extent. There's this constant need for validation that perhaps we as millennials, I'm not sure about Jude, but Martin and I as millennials, we... Didn't have this when we were younger, right? There was no, there was nothing to post online because there was no platform to post online. There was maybe MySpace, but no one was on there. In fact, <laughs> arguably, Wi-Fi internet access was pretty much non-existent when we were younger. Wi-Fi was not publicly available, and if you did, it was really expensive to access. So we weren't afforded those opportunities. But at the same time, I think I'm also thankful that we didn't, because I feel like we're we have a better sense of self and uh, like more resilience because of it. I feel like with the younger generations where they have to be 100%, 100% of the time online, they can't ever be afforded time to make a mistake uh, or look any less than perfect, which comes in with the whole cancel culture aspect, right? Where you have to speak well and perfectly and without error 100% of the time. So we'll touch base on that later. But I definitely think uh, while The Social Dilemma covers a like, lot of great topics on the issues that data collection, as well as mental wellness of individuals, mm-hmm. I think there are elements that made it less believable mm-hmm. and a little bit exaggerated in some ways. Mm-hmm. Kind of Hollywood, mm-hmm. how it made it a little bit more Hollywood than it needed to be. But I guess that's a whole like kind of attraction piece, right, to draw people in. But I the I feel like that took away a lot, a little bit of its authenticity in its messaging.
1: What about you, Jude? What do you think?
2: Uh, my thoughts on the social dilemma movie. Is that, so I think there's a trend, like, I think in the beginning when social media was like being developed, these people that was in the documentary, they were in, they were responsible for designing the features that we now see as the def- default, right? Like the thumbs up button or like button or like retweet or reblogging it. And I think there's a trend. If that was a trend, then I think there's a new trend now where we're becoming more aware and mindful of how harmful these features are actually becoming, right? So I think you guys touched on it a little bit, but, um, and I think, you know, the documentary really is these designers and people who are in charge of these features looking back and going, wow, maybe I created something that wasn't so great, you know, just because millions of people started Using the thumbs up button, for example, it doesn't mean that it always led to good things. It led to a lot of mental health problems, led to a lot of perfectionist problems, like you guys were mentioning. So I think the documentary is important in that aspect. I do want to kind of point out that I don't think it's only the younger generation who's at risk of these mm-hmm. mental health issues from using social media. I think that you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of middle aged and older generations using Facebook. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a trend now where we're looking at certain social media sites, such as Facebook, and we're going not the best social media out there, Yet there's a lot of old generations still using it. So I think the the documentary is just the reflection of the fact that we're becoming more aware of, of how harmful these practices can be. And so yeah, I thought it was important. I'm not sure who how much of it is reaching the main public either. Mm-hmm. But whether you work in, because like me and Martin, like we work in UX and so we get it, we got, we learned about it in school. But I think there's a lot of people who don't understand or know yet how harmful these practice, these online behaviors, online addiction can be. So, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. I, I think that's a really good point um, because and, and that's something that I think it where the documentary connected with me personally, they talk about the people. I think, I think there was one bit where they talked about how 50 white males designed a feature that affected 2 billion people, something along the lines of right. And I I couldn't help, but think uh, some of those 50 people were designers such as myself. And then I thought back to my own work and what I do and I do, when we do, when I do my work, when we do our work, we follow a similar type of process, right? Some type of thinking about how we want to encourage certain behaviors versus discourage certain behaviors. And it does make me think back to be like, hey, uh, am I I just tuning out and just doing things because my boss told me to, and that's my job and I have to? Or should I, you know, think a little bit deeper and be like, hey, how am I really affecting The end user the client whoever they may be right despite what the company wants me to do what should i me as an ethical human being do so that's definitely something that that kind of touched with me and made me pause for a moment
0: Mm. one of the features that i think these companies do really well on in terms of really bringing users back is probably notifications uh, features right um, on your phones, where you have you know from the scroll bar on top of your phone saying, "Hey, this person sent you a message." Hey, you got this notification. Hey, look, check out these headlines. So it, it does a it's a really good job of that. And I just want to ask for you folks, you know, do you, are you folks still on social media? And which ones do you use?
2: Oh, I want to answer this one. So I tell people I don't use social media, but I absolutely do. It's because <laughs> because I have a lot to say about this. Because social media becomes harmful when there's people involved, <laughs> so the whole point of it, <laughs> exactly, but actually for certain social medias, I personally use them for information gathering or information like consuming, right? So Twitter and like Facebook and Instagram, all of these, I don't follow anyone or I try not to follow anyone that I know in real life. So I have like, a, like a secondary account where I can like literally be anonymous online because I think that also really helps with my, my mental health when I'm dealing with social media. And I've been a Tumblr user since like 2013, and <laughs> it's, it's becoming, I don't want to promote this because I want it to stay like niche, but it's becoming more popular now because it's one of the few social media sites out there that doesn't use a lot of these, uh, do, you know, like um, neuro design like dopamine headers for like like buttons and whatever. And it's not chronological. It's like, it's designed to literally consume content and reblog content. It's not designed to connect with people, even though you can. And so, I don't know. I'm a huge fan of Tumblr. <laughs> and I use, and I only use Twitter because of news, because it's the fastest source to mm-hmm. get news, but I don't follow anyone there. So, so you like the, the non-social social media. Yeah, because I think that's the part that is the problem. It's the reason why people get are getting anorexia and like all these like body dysmorphia issues and perfectionist issues. Because like on Facebook, you only post happy things, right? And so it, it's been empirically researched at this point yeah, that it's not know. good. It's not good to consume these things all the time. And I'm also very cynical and like I don't care. What my friends are. <laughs> I just want to see what I need to like consume information wise to move on with my day it's
0: fair it's true so what, what are some where are some like topics you typically like to like consume on tumblr or twitter so on
2: twitter see? twitter is good for like anything that's happening around the world right it's like the fastest way i don't know if i should bring this up because i know you guys have a lot of content but like i think the asian there was a shooting with asian women in, in atlanta recently mm-hmm. and we should that caused that. 100%. that caused a lot of like uh, people online standing up very similar to the blm movement by the way as an asian i just have to point out that like asian people would not even have the platform to speak up about their rights without blm first paving that way for us just went to put that up there um so, but like that because of that event a lot of these like uh, movements happening online so those kind of thing when i want to know like uh, what happened there what's the details of that case then twitter's like the ideal place to go so that's why I, can, I don't delete twitter i just have it i just don't follow people
0: <laughs> fair <laughs> yeah that's i think I think that's totally fair and i think you're right that black lives matter has like created a lot of the groundwork that has allowed for us to just say yo this ain't right and then we kind of jump jump bandwagon a little bit in fact you know i've had some friends who you know i've spoken up saying you know we should totally be uh supportive of a you know, Asian hate, and you know, I am, I am. I do things in my own way. One thing I think it would be kind of—it's like interesting, right? Where we acknowledge Asian hate, but these same people have, you know, never mentioned any of the previous movements, like you did, which is great. Where you, you've kind of brought up how this came about and supported them as well. But as Asian folks, we of course have a tendency to support people who look like us, like as a natural instinct, right? So, what do you think? Not only
2: Asians, but I think any ethnic group just. Right. There needs to be intersectionality and I think groups fail to do that today.
0: Right. So like, it's true, right? Where are we, you know, we see Asia supporting Asians, uh, Black supporting Blacks, etc. But, you know, we, as like you said, there's very few, there's the little, very little crossover in between, right? You might have tokens here and there, but, you know, as a collective, we aren't really working together to make the world better. We're, we're just trying to fight our own little battles. You know it would definitely be a much larger movement and much more effective probably as a force if we yeah. banded together so what do you think are some like barriers to us you know coming together i guess
1: i i think there are both there are barriers just in the sense that i mean the most obvious one is just because they're different like if you're black and i'm asian uh, a lot of people might not be able to relate as well mm-hmm. um they might not uh, identify with that group they might not relate to their culture or cultural practices. Uh, or they might simply just have their own biases against them as well, whether fair or not. I think that's one of the most primary reasons as to why there isn't as much connecting between different groups. I think a secondary one, which I don't, I don't know if it's a big blocker or barrier, but it's just members of that group wanting to remain exclusive or pure to some point. I, I don't know how common this is, but I have seen a number of times where it's like, oh, you're not necessarily part of our group. I don't think you can speak up, uh, speak on our behalf. Not saying that I'm necessarily one of those kinds of people, but I have seen it and I have heard it amongst, uh, again, on social media. Well, from,
2: that's from that's the people. wrong approach to have it. And also, like you, you are an ally not because you want to have a microphone and speak out. You're an mm-hmm. ally to sit there quietly and support the group that's going through something right? So yeah. allyship isn't about, I mean, like, okay, I'm like, faulty, <laughs> I'm gonna just say it. White people have a tendency to like, when to be overly supportive of diversity and inclusion inclusion movements, and then take the mic away from the group that's like actually suffering, and then using that platform to speak up mm. And I think that's what you're kind of relating to. And allyship is not about taking the microphone away. Allyship yeah. is about being there and supporting the group from the back, I think there's this famous, not famous, there's this quote that I read a long, long time ago about a white, like this is like back in the uh, Martin Luther King junior days, like during this the uh, you know, fight for freedom. Yeah. There was a white person in the audience. And then like, I think a reporter went up to that white person because it's like, why is this one white person in this group of uh, black protesters? and he gave an answer that i re- i think like embodies what allyship about so they were like why did you come out here you're not even black why do you support black rights and the guy said something along the lines of i don't know why but i just felt like i needed to be here and stand in the back and support this group mm-hmm. and i think that's the that's that's the attitude that you should have when you're an ally and i think that's where that like you don't belong here, your voice, uh, this is our fight, you don't belong here, that kind of thing arises. But I would say majority of people, whether you're an Asian group or a black group, indigenous group or whatever group that you're going through, whatever fight you're fighting, you know, normally it's white supremacy. I don't think the majority of that group, of any group is saying to anyone who wants to join the fight and going, you don't belong here, right? I think that's the very minority opinion of people who may have microaggression towards the fact that white people throughout history has constantly taken the mic away from people who's fighting the good fight.
0: I can definitely see in terms of the, another point where during the Black Lives Movement, there were, I mean, there are, there are allies, right? There's, there's allyship, but certainly the mass majority aren't Asians at a time who spoke out and are allies, right? So I think there is some jadedness there in terms of like, you know, where were you when the, this good fight was happening? And why should we support you now, now that you're starting up your movement?
2: Not only that, okay, <laughs> I feel like I'm saying all the teeth. As an Asian, I just have to say, we are the most racist. One one of the most racist people. <laughs> I'm Amen. saying, like, I am fully taking acknowledge that. Amen. We are more anti-Black than white people sometimes. And <laughs> yes. we yes. have yes. actually, if you want to look at BLM specifically, like, not, not only within the last decade, but, like, the whole Black Panther movement and, like, back in the street segregation days, Asian people have actually done Black populations harm there were supporters but there also have been active perpetrators of the violence and that has led to it right there's a reason why in get out Jordan Peel purposely uh, added an Asian person in that scene with the white uh, people like having a party and there's like one Japanese uh, act like a uh, character there and that was intentional, is because in history Asian people had not only been bystanders but have actually, you know, contributed to the the inequalities, because <laughs> here I go again, sorry, yeah, guys, go off. maybe this is why I wanted to do this, I'm going to go off, but go off. that's because Asian people are model minority. Yeah. Okay, so like, even within POCs and people of color, there's actually uh, levels, not, not all POCs are created equal. Mm-hmm. Asian people, I would argue, is actually at the top of the food chain when it comes to P- POC the only way to go up after Asian is white. Okay? (laughs) We we as as the model minority have the ability, and this is my biggest pet peeve with Asians, they take they put on a they put on a mask that uh, that uh, suits them, right? Sometimes they're white, if they feel like that serves them well, they put on the mask of being white, and join the white groups and mingle. And then At other times, when they feel like it, they take that mask off and they chose to become POC. Suddenly, they're they're like, well, actually, I'm a POC. I belong with you guys. Well, you just just, um, reap the benefits of being the model minority for the last whatever. And now you want to change sides. So that's like my biggest pet peeve with Mm. um, Asian Canadians or Asian Americans or Asians just living in North America. We need to like really check our privilege whenever we have these kind of race and like support Asian rights issues because it's not an Asian rights issue, it's not a black rights issue. it's like literally we collectively need to fight white supremacy or else it's just distraction politics
0: you know what can the average Joe do to demonstrate support or at least be in solidarity with our you know other, other people of color
2: yeah that's a good question and I'm not an expert to answer this but I do think I have an answer for you which is maybe like pick up a book sometimes, maybe do (laughs) some research, maybe like instead of talking about diversity and inclusion, maybe you do some historical research and reading on why society is the way it is today, instead of just saying, I'm gonna help you with diversity, right? Like, So I think to answer your question, anyone and everyone can pick up a book, can go online, Look at the history of all these inequalities and injustices in the world and try to figure out yourself where it's coming from. Yeah. But my, and I'm passionate because my pet peeve is I've dealt with so many people in powerful positions who are like, we want to help. We want to do something Yet I, I can guarantee you. They have not picked up a single book about uh, slavery mm-hmm. or this inequalities.
0: It's almost very, it's very tokenist and kind of band-aid kind of solution. Yeah. Right yeah, I've heard yeah. stories where companies would just like be like, "Hey, you're a person of color. we're gonna have you uh represent your 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 race or culture oh right. yeah, right
1: i I think it's and I wish it wasn't I hate to say it, but I think a lot of it is just it's just bandwagoning right they're jumping on because they want to seem like, oh, it's a movement right now we want to fit in we want to capitalize on this opportunity to bring up our good name or our self image or the company's image or whatever right they just want to to take advantage of the situation
2: without really investing they also experience i think white people like i don't know none of us are white but i think (laughs) because i've like dealt with this question a lot right i dealt with a lot of microaggression a lot of anger like why are they just saying things and not doing it and i think If you look at it more closely, it's coming also from a place of shame. Like they recognize that they were the perpetrators of this bad history and that bad story. And and they wanna do good. I think their intentions are truly good for most of them, unless you're like completely all right. (laughs) I think a lot of it comes from the white guilt, right? And so that white guilt manifests itself into something that's like protecting the company or protecting their reputation when It's not about like, I think everyone's being afraid these days of being called out to being a racist, but that's like such a little, like it's, it's, it's so stupid that you're worrying about that when there's actually actual lives and people dying, right. Due to injustices today. And for you to be worried about your reputation is very, it's unfortunate. Right. So I think people need to drop their guilt. And they need to pick up a fucking book.
0: <laughs> I, I, I get it. We could all pick up a book and learn more. We could. There's just a lot, right? I think with today's society, especially, and speaking on cancel culture and whatnot, I just, it's just sometimes it feels like you have to care about everything and anything, which is fine. Like I, I understand that. But just sometimes you're so scared or you shouldn't be scared to express yourself. But at the same time, you, almost like in any conversation you have these days, especially with folks who are perhaps a little bit more aggressive in conversations, if you say the wrong thing, it's almost a fear of being ignorant, and myself included, right? When when I'm with Martin, there's never a fear. I can talk to him, and we can have hashings up really nicely, right? But some other folks, where it's like if you say the wrong thing or you point something out, you know, you're met with this like hyper aggression. It goes from zero to hundred. There's no middle ground to have a proper conversation. I think that's one of the challenges too, right? Where, you know, some folks have every right to be angry. I'm not saying you're, I'm, I'm not invalidating everybody, anybody, but sometimes it's just really hard to have a proper conversation with someone to just for myself and themselves as well. Sometimes they share knowledge and just learn from each other.
2: But I mean, do, you, do you ever consider where that like uh, anger, as you call it, is coming from? I think it's coming from the fact that they didn't have a proper proper outlet like I'm guilty of anger sometimes whenever mm. and I think to be honest if you're not angry about black people dying by police there's something wrong with you like, yeah. So so yeah. and I think I think that like anger as you call it or that kind of like over passion comes from the fact that they didn't have a proper outlet until literally recently to even acknowledge that they've been suffering mm. right so imagine you've been suffering your whole life You don't know know how to put a language around. You don't know what to call it, but you know you've been a victim of cruel, cruel acts by people. And then now you're given an opportunity to speak out. I I think it would be weird not to get angry. So I think when people do act defensively and act angry, I think it's important to ask yourself where that anger is coming from because that anger is not directed at anyone. At least I hope so. I think it's more... Uh, caused or or born out of this years and years of microaggression that they've been subju- subjugated
0: to. Again, it, it, you're right. You're right. It does probably come from a place of a lot of suppression. Perhaps they didn't get the support they needed or they haven't had time to process all the information or they didn't have a chance to, right, from an outlet. Um, I just think that it's just incredibly difficult, right? Myself included, and as you'll learn in like the next podcast that you hear, like I was, I've got I've myself have gone through a lot of different issues right Queer issues, being Asian, etc it's it's difficult but I'm not gonna lash out at someone for making homophobic a at times. you know I might educate them say i will sit you down but like let's talk about this that's not okay but for me to just rage at them that's not gonna solve anything from my point of view been there done that it's not happening right I rather having I think it's a different approach right I get that you're allowed to be angry. But I just think that once you start yelling, as the saying goes, once the yelling starts, you lose the battle.
2: Yeah. And that's the problem today, right? Everyone's yelling from left from the left side and the right side, from the middle side. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody Everybody's
1: angry and yelling. I'm kind of in the middle on this. On one hand, I think, yes, they have every right to be angry 100%. But I think. And I, hold on. Here's a question
2: yeah. for you. You guys are POCs too. Aren't you yeah. angry? That's my question to of you. Of course
0: I am. Of course I am. But like, again, anger is not the way to, like for me anyways, like everyone's different.
2: Okay, I think we need to drop the anger thing because yeah. that does have a negative connotation with a very specific race. Group. All
0: right, so, okay. And
2: also like people have, like you said, Dan, like people have different method of communicating, right? And it manifests differently culturally based on, you know, a lot of different factors. Right. Yep. So I think, I, I think we should move away from anger.
0: Alright, yeah. so I guess... Okay, that's fair. What would be a better word to describe the behavior then?
2: Some people are more passionate than others when it comes passionate. to Okay, fair issues.
0: enough. So, yeah. passionate. Fair. I'll amend that. I apologize for that. So, right. So, some folks are more passionate than others. And some of that past- sometimes passion results in yelling. Yeah. Which I think doesn't get us too far in terms of convincing someone. And as soon as yelling starts, as soon as the passion, you know,
2: erupts... It worked for Trump, though.
0: It worked for Trump, but... It's not because he was trying to, he's, he's, he's kind of rallying right, supporters who already have that belief. You know, Right now, you're trying to convince someone who has a complete, like a different or oppositional position than yourself, right? If I believed yeah. from the get-go, and I do, like that Black Lives Matter do matter, and I do think that, right? But I didn't have that opinion, you're going to have a hard time convincing me because you're pretty much like shaking my world here. You're rocking my boat. So yeah. I just think, like if you're passionate and I had those same values to you, but I was I didn't feel like I could express that openly as with like America, then I think I would jump on board your ship right away because you have you're you're not giving me a platform to be this racist racist uh you know bigoted uh person individual in the world. Whereas you think if you're trying to convince me who is perhaps not knowledgeable or you know having having a different view, I think it's I think that passionate view. I just feel like it's perhaps not the most effective way of going about things, but every like, mind you, every person understands things and absorbs things differently. I think that's where kind of reading a room kind of
2: uh, does help with that, but that's also a hard skill to develop over time. Right. But why is it, why is it the tone that you're paying attention to and not the content? Right. Cause I think you just, like you said, like, if you agree with the content, and it might not be your cup of tea of how it's being portrayed, right? And a lot of younger generations on Twitter are very passionate mm-hmm. and 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 they are shouting. And I think that's like the more like Zen Z way, like they're very <laughs> unapologetic. And I think we as millennials have something to learn from that. It's like we've had to balance being PC. And I think I personally find it very refreshing to see Zen Z kids stepping up and you know, having the courage to speak out in ways that we as millennials or previous generations never did.
1: Mm. So I think,
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: I do agree that the content is important. Mm-hmm. But I think now I'm like my, my focus or my thinking has almost kind of shifted to to just communication tactics and, and strategies. And it, it, it kind of follows, it's not necessarily what you say sometimes, it's how you say it. The content is... Like, I agree with it. I think it makes sense, and I think it should be talked about for sure. But what strategy can we employ to get the other side to listen? I think – or what's effective?
2: Well, okay, Here's, here's here's a fair question. Is the goal to make the other side listen, or are we just assuming that they'll never change at this point? Are we just letting our voices be more heard, or is it like fighting the other side specifically? Cause like, I mean, like I mentioned Trump, but like Trump supporters will be Trump supporters, right? I don't think, I, I don't think it's a very good investment of your resources and time to convince them to not be Trump supporters because that's what they're comfortable in, mm-hmm. right? I, or so is, is the goal to, to be, to, to share. Cause I think we are collective becoming more mindful of these issues. So is it to share like, and becoming more mindful as a collective to these issues? Or is it fighting all the time, right? And if that it's the latter, I don't I don't want to fight either, right? Fighting online is, I think, we can all agree it's, it's been there, done that, and nothing's gonna change out of it, except more violence.
0: So uh, I want to go back really quickly about we talked about what Jude uses on social media. What do we use on social media? I went off Instagram since like since COVID started, oh. so yeah, it's been like. Almost a year anniversary of Instagram. It's well, almost, almost. We're like two thirds away, and it's actually been quite kind of refreshing. Like it's been like I don't. I found that it didn't add to my life. I still have to maintain Messenger, and Facebook because of a work things, podcast things. I have to keep it. But if I could, if I could purge it, I would. I don't have Twitter. Yeah, Instagram. I just,
1: Sorry, if you could purge
0: Facebook and Messenger.
1: Facebook and Messenger.
0: It's one of those things I just have to keep for a like basic, basic Toronto news because that's where I get it usually. I don't go, I don't really jump on CP twenty four. I don't have Twitter, so that's kind of my source of like daily news. There's also like work groups that I'm like really interested in, and like you know they, I get the you know I get the latest scoop of tea from there. You know what's going on, so I, I need to keep it. Mm-hmm. But if I could be off that and still retain all the knowledge I get from there, wonderful. Like I'd be off. So the main social media as people call it. I just consume YouTube and consume Reddit. That's about it.
1: YouTube for me, for sure. I'm on Facebook casually. Instagram is even worse. Like I have a grand total of maybe like 10 posts. And then the rest, I just use my Instagram to stalk people. (laughs) I'm an anti-social social social media user. (laughs) Facebook, I I don't really check it that often anymore. Again, it just comes with the occasional news. I think that's kind of interesting messenger only because it's the main channel for communication that a lot of my friend groups use if they all suddenly swap to whatsapp or uh i don't know something else or even text messaging do you remember text messages back in the day that people no longer use if they all suddenly swap to that um i'd be i'd be down for it and i would just drop off facebook i i tell my friends this but if everyone actually uh decided to go with an ancient piece of technology called phone calls if everyone and i think i've told every group i've i've told our group jude i've told our group dan if everyone just started phone calling again i'd be down for it because i think that's the best i honestly think it's the best if i want to catch up with you hey man let's chat really because uh, maybe...
0: i called you martin you you gave me this like hyper awkward like greeting what i called you like hey martin was, like. Hello. Okay. 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 Question mark. Okay, question okay. mark, question mark, question
1: mark. <laughs> that was, it was because it's super unexpected. Dan has never called me, let alone messaged me, like barely <laughs> in my whole life. How and then all of a sudden he calls me. I'm like, is, is something wrong, Dan? <laughs> like, why are you calling me? Yeah. But hey, like if I know you're good for it, like if you're good for calling, I'll I'll definitely call. Like I think really? that's my favorite. All right, I would. Yeah, I would.
2: Now, religiously, I always say to my <laughs> friends the same thing, and never happens. Oh, I'll call you next week. But like, like calling, six months
0: calling is just so like I feel like calling is a commitment it's such a love, it is it's, it's like when you call it's so
2: intimate like yes. we're not there it's <laughs> too yeah. much of that
0: but that's great <laughs> but it's like, you, it's can't like just I'm say, you can't just say you can't be like you can't be on the toilet you can't you'll know, do cooking you know flipping over that spam over your pan when you're <laughs> <in> the- <laughs>
2: I feel violated when my work calls me, so I don't like calling my friends either.
1: Violated, what a word! <laughs> violated. God. Yeah. So so okay. Back to the question. Facebook barely. Messenger mostly because my friends use it, and Instagram just to be cre- just a creep. But I'm I'm not much of a social media user myself. Yeah. TikTok? Are you guys on TikTok?
0: No, I've never been on TikTok. Snapchat was like yeah. I had maybe a lifespan of like two weeks on there
2: it's because oh, we're it? old
1: yeah i was gonna say not to date us aren't, but uh aren't
0: kids still like on that
1: T- snapchat snapchat apparently died oh TikTok no it's right now,
2: right? it's people do use it but i don't oh, think yeah. zen z kids are using snapchat okay. no like, i think okay. they're on tiktok I, I, yeah i'll TikTok, TikTok has a
1: lot
0: of like great learning like you know life hacks life hacks as some people will call it are you on tiktok
2: no no because <laughs> i'm a millennial and i'm too old <laughs> <You're> too
0: old <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just wonder sometimes like, the kids make so much money on there. We should just go on there, do something stupid, and like, make cash, make bank, and call it a day, retire. Yeah, early. It,
1: it astounds me still. And again, maybe it's going to make me sound old, but how do people make so much money over some dumb shit? Like, are we at that state in society where we just. I think
2: they get like sponsorships, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. companies will pay them to do 100K to do dumb stuff. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I where know. are we at in
1: society? Where this is a thing? This is a way to make money. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, know. I mean, what? I mean, why it's not down. though? Right? You do something stupid, you get paid like bank to do it. Why not? Like you
1: know? I mean, hey, if if I was that kid, I would probably do it. Right? Hundred <laughs> percent. I do I, in a heartbeat. Yeah. No issues. I put on, yeah. like, a three-minute video of doing me doing some stupid shit, and I get, like, thousands of adult- dollars. Yeah, yeah, look, of
0: course. Look, look, man, as long as I'm, do like, it. throwing chairs at people, I'm not doing, like, OnlyFans-level shit, like, I'll do it. 100%. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Hey, no no judgment no, to no any shit. of our Again, listeners. We're,
0: we're, we're pro-sex
1: here. Who, who we're, use we're, we are pro-sex.
0: OnlyFans. <laughs> but, but I will not do something on something a platform like TikTok. There, there's a line I will draw. Like, you want me to, like, like, smash myself in the face with, like, a cream pie? Like, I'll do it no <laughs> no problems <laughs> anyways folks I think that will do what we'll do for this week thank you for tuning in thank you Jude for being our lovely guest of the week, uh, week.
1: thank you so much Jude. Yeah, it was great having having it. thank you for
0: having me until next time take it easy take it easy be chill have a poutine
1: have poutine be chill have poutine see be you guys. chill
0: <laughs> have a poutine stay good have a good life ciao <laughs>
1: Dude, that's too long.
0: Hush you. Say bye so I can end this.
1: (laughs) See you guys. Bye. (laughs)